Welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Toned Radio. I am your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie. And this video, this episode has been brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. Really good show that we had last week, last Wednesday. This is actually Monday that I'm recording this. If you have not gotten a chance, please go back and listen to the episode with Morley Robbins. Morley is a federal functional diagnostic nutritionist, and we were talking about iron and copper dysregulation, kind of a high-level episode, and you may have to listen to it a couple of times, but something really, really important, and I think Morley uncovers something that keeping a lot of people uh, within illness, a lot of people sick. So I would advise you to go back and listen to that episode if you can. Today we have another exciting episode. I'll be interviewing Esther Blum. She is the author of the book Cave Women Don't Get Fat. And let me read Esther bio. I wanted to get right into this so we can get more content for you uh, instead of spending a lot of time just kind of talking about bios and, and different things. But Esther Blum is a registered nutritionist a registered dietitian, holistic nutritionist, and best-selling author. She has currently written four books, the first book being authored Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous, a nutritionist guide to living well while living up, Secrets of Gorgeous, and the Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous project. And, of course, we'll be discussing her fourth book, which is Cave Women Don't Get Fat Today. Esther is widely respected in the industry and has been seen on shows such as ABC TV, Fox 5, Good Day New York, and Lime Radio in another uh, station called Bloomberg Radio. Esther received a Bachelor of Science in Clinical Nutrition from Simmons College in Boston and is a graduate of New York University, where she received her Master of Science in Clinical Nutrition. Esther is credentialed as a registered dietitian, a certified dietitian nutritionist, and a certified nutrition specialist. A license of the College of Nutrition Certifying Arm, the Certification Board for Nutrition Specialists, she is also a member of the American Dietetic Association. Welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Toned Radio, Esther Bloom. How are you today? Thank you, Sharon. I am great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing fabulous. Um, really excited for this interview. Um, of course, we'll be discussing a lot about the paleo diet. And um, if you could, Esther, there's a lot of people that come into the nutrition sphere as a result of something that happened. I'll personally share my story. My mom passed away from breast cancer in 2005, and that's what kind of propelled me into getting into nutrition. But I wanted to hear your story and why you kind of decided to take this route into, into nutrition. Not for the reasons. Are you hearing an echo on this, by the way, on your end? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, I'll just talk then and ignore it. Um, I went into nutrition because I had a very medical family. I had a grandfather who was an ears, nose, and throat physician and took out my tonsils. Uh, he you know, wanted me to go to medical school. He practiced surgery until he was 80, and he practiced medicine until he was 95 and a half. And he lived to be about 105 and a half. Uh, my father is a retired dermatologist. My mother's a nurse. We had pharmacists in our family. So I just came at it from an academic perspective. And it was truly divine intervention because later on in life is when I developed health challenges and my family developed health challenges. So it's I was so grateful that I had the background um, to support all the people around me, including myself. Yeah. Um Getting into being a registered dietitian, and I know uh, coming from that, that world, I, I didn't actually come from that world. I actually came from the pharmaceutical world and was trained, you know, formally in 
pharmaceutics and, and speaking with the doctors. But one thing that I always notice that if you're trained within that world, that you tend to carry a lot of things with you. And your book goes against the, the grain, so to speak. Um, you're mentioning a lot of things about not giving up grains, which we'll talk about later. You mentioned about getting good fats in your diet. When you were trained as a registered dietitian, were you trained like this? And if you weren't, how? what made you start to be more flexible into saying, that, okay, well, maybe they're teaching me low fat, but maybe I need to put fats back in the diet or have my clients put fats back in my diet? What made you decide to have that open mind? Mm, great question. I love it. Um, no, I when I was in, um, when I did my undergraduate and my graduate degree, fat was a big no-no. Low fat was huge. Um, you know, but, but fat was the enemy and meat was the enemy and <laughs> it was grains and bread. You know, people could eat six to 11 servings of bread a day, but, you know, be scared of red meat and fat. So what happened was I worked in hospitals the first five years of my life. I worked in the cardiology units and, um, you know, dealt with diabetes and AIDS and very sick sick people, fed people through tubes, fed people intravenously, the whole nine yards. So what was happening was, A, I was treating people when they were not necessarily um, in a preventive place. Often it was too late, um, or it's never too late, but, you know, it had gone far past the point of prevention. That was A. And B, one night my mother had a cocktail party I attended, and uh, one of her friends said to me, what do you know about vitamins? And I said, I'm so embarrassed, I know nothing about vitamins, even though I took a course in graduate school called Vitamins and Minerals. And <laughs> knew nothing about supplementation. And she said, you know, I currently go to this nutritionist, and she did this holistic nutrition program, and she puts me on great supplements, and I feel so great. I said, give me her number. I'm going to enroll in this course. And I did. And it, I was so pissed off when I got to this course. Mm-hmm. It was four months every other Saturday for eight hours a day. And I was so pissed because I was handed manuals and thick compendiums full of all these research studies that I never saw in six years of clinical nutrition training. I never saw any of the studies supporting the use and the benefits of vitamins and the therapeutic uses that you can have in clinical practices. And these were published in major medical journals. These were not, you know, schlocky... Uh, unaccredited journals. These were peer-reviewed studies in medical journals. So I was, you know, frustrated that I spent so much money. You know, I put myself through grad school and, you know, spent a lot of money and time in my education, and there was such a huge gap. So after I received that part of my education, I left the hospital quickly after, because um, I knew it was dead end. And doctors really didn't respect nutritionists the way they should have, in my opinion. Um, and that holds true to this day. You know, anything that bucks the conventional doctor's wisdom, there are a lot of functional medicine doctors, but there are also a lot of conventional doctors who just don't have the training in nutrition or functional medicine. So I left, I worked for a holistic doctor for a couple of years, and then I went out on my own in private practice and started writing books and really haven't looked back since. Yeah, you mentioned just being in that, starting out in cardiology and kind of migrating from there. But are you working with people now who have any of these ailments? I know that the primary focus in our society right now is weight loss, and women have a lot of 
women as well as men have a lot of hang-ups on you know, getting to that desired weight. But are you currently working with people who might have these these health problems, may have uh, cancer, may have you know some kind of heart problem or heart ailment? Um, I don't typically attract um, that many people with cancer or heart ailments, but certainly I'm open to working with them, of course. But um, typically right now the people I work with, I do have some weight loss clients coming to me, but most people have more serious underlying issues. They have autoimmune conditions. They have chronic viral conditions, um, Lyme's disease, Epstein-Barr, MS, lupus. Um, I had one client I treated with four autoimmune conditions, um, a lot of gut problems, food allergies, digestive ailments. So I, I see the gamut. You know, weight loss is the, the carrot at the end of the stick for a lot of people. But honestly, until you clean up the other health issues, the gut, the liver, uh, you're going to struggle to see weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned Epstein-Barr virus, and I was doing some research on that because that's kind of hidden and a lot of people go around and around and around in circles trying to find out why they can't get any um, uh, any relief from their symptoms yes and one of the things I came up in my research was that that viruses may be a trigger to autoimmune and Epstein-Barr virus popped up and one of the things that was correlated to was thyroid, uh, particularly Hashimoto's thyroiditis, autoimmune thyroid. Yes. Um, what has been your experience with that, with just the Epstein-Barr virus and, and treating people that might have that? Yeah, I treat um, most of my people who come in, if not all, if they have autoimmune conditions, I have them tested for Epstein-Barr or I ask mm-hmm. if they've had tonsillitis or mono in their younger years. Mm -hmm. And often women, so many women get diagnosed with thyroid issues after they have children. And childbirth can be a huge, or any hormonal event like menopause also can be a huge trigger for Epstein-Barr virus to explode. And by the time it's in, you know, stage one is usually a virus as a child. It may or may not include tonsillitis. Stage two, so it goes undetected or they'll call it glandular fever, is a, is a good term for Epstein-Barr as a child. Mm-hmm. Stage two is mono. Stage three <clears throat> starts going into your liver, maybe your thyroid, and stage four you're getting nodules on your thyroid and potentially even cancer. So um, you do, you have to kill off the virus aggressively, and the longer you've had it, the longer it takes time to heal. And how do I know this? Because I had it and it woke up when I was pregnant, unbeknownst to me, and it took me about seven years to even get diagnosed. So I had seven years of severe, severe insomnia and thyroid issues. And uh, so my gift is that I can now see it clearly, help people get through, support them physically, emotionally through their journeys and bring them back to their lives again so they can move on. Yeah, a lot of people aren't aware of that. And it's just, I don't know, it's all these things have been coming to me lately and coming across, like, for instance, I'll see something on YouTube and then I'll start digging into it deeper and then it leads somewhere else. It's just amazing how many things that are out there and how many people are unaware that, you know, these viruses and these things that they are, they exist and that they are affecting them, you know, day to day. So. They are, and I mean, every day I come, literally, I was out to lunch with a girlfriend in New York last week, and um, she said to me, you know, my husband uh, 
has uh, the titers. He just got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. Get him worked up for Epstein-Barr. And I'd like you started digging through, found numerous research papers and published medical journals. And um, sure enough, she texted me back the afternoon. She said he had mono as a kid. I was like, there you go, honey. Treat the mono and help kill off the viruses. Because what happens is with Epstein-Barr, it turns the autoimmune titers on for rheumatoid, for Hashimoto's. It even turns the titers on for Lyme. So people think they have Lyme, and they have a lot of symptoms that present similarly to Lyme, and numbness in the legs, and and the arms, the extremities, and it's really Epstein-Barr inflaming the whole central nervous system. Yeah, you know what? That can be a whole nother show. I know we <laughs> do cave women don't get fat, and I may have to invite you back because that's something that's of interest to me, and I think that that's something that's exploding with this whole autoimmune dynamic that's happening with a lot of people, and they're very unaware of it, so that might be another show. But let's let's get into this paleo thing because this paleo thing is actually big, and your book centers around paleo and how to uh, help women. Now, with paleo, are there any nuances um, with women to men or it's the same thing? You've been working with people, and I'm going to consider that your client base of people that you work with is mainly women. Um, Are there any nuances to the paleo diet that we need to know about when it comes to men versus uh, their male counterparts? Yes. Um, For women, I wrote this book specifically for women because every paleo diet out there tends to be geared toward men. Um, Practical Paleo by D- Diane Sanfilippo, that is, is a nice balance between men and women. But I want to specifically focus on women because that's just two cubs in my practice. People always ask me to write books for men. I say, I'm not an expert. I, very few come to me in practice, so <laughs> women it is. So, um, but for the Paleo diet for women, what women really need to understand is how their blood sugar is affected and how their adrenals and thyroid function throughout their monthly cycle. Um, the first half of the month, you are far more insulin sensitive. Your cortisol levels are lower. Your blood sugar and your insulin is managed much better. And you um, should you you can be um, a little bit more liberal with your carbs and still get away with feeling energized and good and keeping your uh, your cravings and your energy in check. The second half of the month, things tend to go wonky. This is when we get our cravings, we get kind of irritable, we get fatigued. Maybe our cortisol spikes because our blood sugar is low at night, so we get sleep disturbances. And so that time of the month is when you should really um, increase your protein, even doubling up. There's about three days during the premenstrual cycle, where you're low, where your blood sugar is a little low, you're a little more shaky and hungry and irritable, you can even double your protein during that time and really cut back on your carbs to reduce the extra blow and the extra weight gain that you get associated with hormonal disturbances. So the first half of your month, you're more insulin sensitive, so you can play a little with carbs. The second half of the month, ironically, when you're craving the most carbs is when you should have you know, the most stringent <laughs> application of carbs and increase your protein and fat and vegetables. So the first half of the month, if I'm more insulin resistant or insulin sensitive, is that a cue for me to maybe do lower carb um, or can I do a little bit more carb? I, I guess what I'm asking, is it more indiv- individualized when it comes to women when that first half of the month of that, that cycle happens? 
it can be individualized, but this is what I have found in, you know, over 20 years of practice is that the first half, you can do a little higher card. The second half of the month, ironically, when you're craving card, should be lower card. Second half of the month. Okay, got it. Protein, you said when you, women start to get wonky, and I've experienced that wonky phase <laughs> being in a relationship, but um, you want to get on the protein. What I've noticed with women, and I speak to women in, in um, nutrition, um, and women tend to shy away from animal protein. It's more like they want to gravitate more towards uh, salads and things of that nature. How important is protein, or animal protein specifically, when you're doing something like this, the paleo diet uh, for women? Yeah. It's going to be very important because it's going to regulate your hunger and fullness. It's going to wake up the neurotransmitters in your brain that enable you to have clear mental focus throughout the day, controls your cravings and supports your adrenals and your thyroid. And most importantly, it builds muscle. You know, as we age, we do lose muscle mass every year. And so you want to make sure that you're lifting weights. And in order to support your muscles and keep them strong, you have to replenish them with protein, especially on the days you lift. Uh, on the days I'm lifting, am I lifting these little three-pound pink weights? Or is it, <laughs> or is it uh, permissive for me to go in there and lift some heavy weights? Because I've seen women in the gym lifting these little you know, paint weights and yeah, they tend to shy away from the heavier weights because they think that it's going to make them more, more manly. What, I mean, mm-hmm. I know that you're doing this, you have your own kind of physical uh, regimen, but what, what are you doing? Are you lifting the heavier weights? Yes, I lift as heavy as I can and often I can lift heavier than I think I can. Mm-hmm. So I have to make sure that I push myself no matter what because it's very easy to just, as you build a foundation, the longer you've been lifting, you know, if you're lifting, uh, if you're early in your lifting career, you know, a 10 or 15 pound weight may seem very daunting to you. But as you get further and further into your nutrition, uh, pardon me, into your weightlifting career, that will be your warm up set of weights. That won't exhaust or tire you or fatigue your muscles. Your muscles just naturally get stronger. So the key is to lift heavy because A, you burn a lot more fat for up to 24 to even 36 hours after your weightlifting session. Um, and second of all, you know, when you build muscle, you actually shrink your physique because you will be losing fat and fat takes up more space than muscle does. So um, we shouldn't be afraid to lift heavy. What we should be afraid of is nourishing ourselves or under nourishing ourselves so that you don't see results from all that heavy lifting because you can lift a lot but if your diet isn't on point you're not going to change your physique yeah um how important is rest for anyone uh specifically you know you're you're dealing with women how important is rest because women tend to Burn the candle at both ends because there are, you know, there are mothers, there are wives, and then there are um, caregivers as well. And most of the time, the very last person they think of is themselves. How important is rest? How important is that sleep component to being able to optimize everything and to have that, that great looking body? Yeah, I mean, sleep, you know, after five days of serious sleep deprivation, you can already see changes in your blood sugar and your adrenal function, and you're just going to be plain old irritable and tired, and I I empathize with that. Here's the deal. 
Your body does the greatest healing and the greatest blood sugar regulation between the hours of 10 a.m. Uh, pardon me, 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And if you're a night shift worker, your body does the greatest repair between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. So um, it's really vital that you unplug and shut off. I try to shut off my phone most nights by 8 p.m. I know that's not always possible. Okay, the latest should be 9 p.m. Though the latest, and then at bed lights off or reading in a soft dim room by 10 and lights out by 10:30. You at least get to sleep between 10 and 2. You're going to do a tremendous amount of healing, even if you're up at four, even if your kids come in at three and you can't fall back asleep so well the rest of the night. 10 to 2 is your adrenals and your thyroid and your stomach acid rebuilding, and that is your time, your body's time to heal. Yeah, I, um, when I first, I've had two people on who, who came on and talk about sleeping. I remember when I was, I was getting in bed like 930 and it was as if I didn't need an alarm clock anymore. My body would say, Hey, you had enough sleep. It's time to wake up. But when I remember when I was that guy who went to bed 11 or 12, I struggled to get, <laughs> to get up in, in the morning. And I know a lot of people are doing that and kind of burning the candle at both ends in your, in the book. You have some acronyms or some words that I haven't heard before, and they're very, uh, they're thought out very nicely, I should say. And one of those things is a neocarb, and you have something called a paleocarb. Explain to us what a neocarb is and a paleocarb is. So a neocarb is a carb that is new to the diet of man, new relative to our ancestral path. So a neocarb would be cereal, you know, Rice Krispies or Twinkies or bread. These are things that are processed, man-made, not necessarily found on trees or growing in gardens. (laughs) Um, Paleocarbs are roots and tubers, things, sweet potatoes, plantains, yucca, winter squash, butternut squash, things that have been around for, you know, thousands thousands and thousands of years some of the more ancient grains which aren't totally paleo but which a lot of people tolerate just fine are quinoa and millet and amaranth um, even sorghum so those are a bit more flexible and permissive and then um, some people again even though these aren't totally paleo some people tolerate beans and legumes fine Um, so it really depends you know on I say eat what you can tolerate tolerate it okay great but um try to stick to the more ancient carbs things have been around for much longer periods of time your body metabolizes them they don't affect your blood sugar the same way they're chock full of carotenoids and vitamin a and excellent nutrients that we need um getting into grains and you have a staunch position on grains you said that you should give up grains in in the book um, how much have you seen that help your, your clientele or help women in general? And um, more specifically, I myself am gluten sensitive and I'm noticing that a lot more people are gluten sensitive. And one of the things I came across a while ago is having women take gluten out of their diet. And that seemed to be a trigger for them in order for them to lose weight. 
loaded question, but can you kind of address those those two points? Yeah. I'll tell you my favorite story about removing grains, which was a woman um, named Marie who came to see me. She had four autoimmune conditions. She had MS, lupus, Sjogren's, and she had Hashimoto. She had had her thyroid removed. She was feeling crappy. And I thought, I don't even know how, you know, if or how I can help her. Let me try. So I think I might have waved a bottle of supplements under her nose and really just took grains and dairy out of her diet. And in three months, her antibodies were cut by 50%. You know, her blood work was lit up like a Christmas tree with antibodies. So three months, 50% gone. Six months, her um, autoimmune conditions had all gone into remission. Her doctor said, what in the world are you doing? And we just, we changed, I shouldn't say we just changed those two things, because those two things are life-changing. They're huge. To give up grains is a total lifestyle change. I do not dismiss that. Once you learn how to do it, it's simple and easy, but getting to that point is a big transition. Food, people tie their identities into what they eat, you know, and they you know, if they're meat lovers, say I'm a meat potatoes guy. If they're vegan, they, I'm a staunch vegan. I would never eat animal proteins, you know. If they want to just eat hoagies or sandwiches. They may not want to give that up. But the benefit is, and I see it the most dramatically with people I treat with autoimmune conditions, time and time again, reverse, um, and put them right into remission. A doctor will never tell you you can put your autoimmune condition into remission. But I will because I've seen it happen. The other thing I saw, which was really lovely, early on in my career, there was a man who came to me um, who went to the ER every six weeks because he thought he was having a heart attack. He was very obese um, and was having trouble losing weight, and um, he wasn't having a heart attack. He never did. It was all GI-related. So I said, go ahead, do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Take your grains out of your diet. I didn't hear from him again for about nine months. I was like, I hope this man is not dead. I really, really do. I hope he's okay. He called me back nine months later. He said, I'm down 70 pounds, and I haven't been back to the ER. Wow, that's that's huge. A huge, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, it doesn't cost anything, right? It costs a bag of potatoes or sweet potatoes versus a loaf of bread, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the one shift. It's actually, you know, when you eat whole foods and, and whole grains, may not necessarily be cheaper, but it's a lot cheaper than the cost of a hospital bill and all the drugs you're going to take to, you know, rule out cardiac issues. So, dramatic. You, the results can be dramatic. For not everyone, but they, they may not be as dramatic, but there isn't one person I've worked with who hasn't gone off grains and felt better energy-wise and clarity-wise and less bloating in the gut and better sleep. That's the other thing I hear most commonly is when K-women get fat, K-women don't get fat, came out, a woman who I never met, she emailed me her before and after pictures. She, her husband bought the book for her January 1st, and by the end of March, she was down 25 pounds, which was, that in and itself was lovely, and then she said, here's the best part, I used to take z every night, 
to sleep, and now I don't need it at all because my blood sugar is so balanced, I sleep perfectly through the night. So that's the other great side effect of getting off grains. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of women out there that are suffering from IBS and um, most notably SIBO, which has become big. <laughs> and a lot of times just getting off those grains will, will help them a lot. Yes. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about your paleo detox. <clears throat> and when I read the chapter in the book about the paleo detox, the first thing that I thought about is this. Whenever people change their diet, they seem to have these symptoms. I had a friend that started eating more vegetables and they had these symptoms. They were going to the bathroom a lot more and they thought that something was wrong with that. <laughs> and it's, it's so funny that like when I get a, when people think that they get these healthy diets and they start having to go to the bathroom more or they're noticing these symptoms, sometimes I'm like, well, you know what? You change your diet. You've been used to eating you know processed foods and now you're eating different kinds of food, more organic foods, yeah. more or less processed foods. And that's what's happened to you. But talk a little bit about your whole paleo detox and, and why you actually do that. I do it because it works. Mm -hmm. for weight loss it's really just a great effective simple detox it takes people off carbs for 14 days off carbs from starches limits mm -hmm. fruit and um, gives unlimited vegetables just lets you shed water lets you shed bloating and inflammation and start delving into your fat burning process then after 14 days I have people add in um, starch, complex starches very slowly so that they find their own unique carbohydrate tolerance. Now, a woman who's lifting heavy weights is going to be able, in theory at least, to be able to eat more carbs than a woman who is walking or doing yoga, who's spending less energy and doesn't need the carbs to tamp down her cortisol. So, um, I have people introduce a half a cup a day of, you know, a sweet potato or some winter squash. See how they do. See if it affects their fat burning or not. Okay? If they tolerate it, they don't gain any weight, they're still losing fat, then they can add in another half cup a day. Okay? So you're up to one cup a day. So most people, you know, can tolerate anywhere from one to two cups of complex starch in their diet, depending on their activity levels. Now, the thing is, with paleo, especially with women, you do not want to go too low carb for too long. That's why it's only 14 days, because you don't want to cause uh, metabolic damage or metabolic resistance when your body and your hormones just stop responding to any stimulus or diet changes you give it. So you want to play with carbs. You can have more on the days you're working out. You can have less on the days you're not working out. You can have more, um, you know, at night versus in the morning. If you have trouble sleeping, I definitely recommend to have carbs at dinner. You can have them in the hours surrounding your workout. So it really, you know, this is where the fun happens. Is you get to play and see what works for you. And then you get to feel like you're in control of what you're eating versus some, you know, off-the-rack diet plan that doesn't fit you at all. This enables you to custom tailor it to what works for you. What is your, you mentioned starches, and you mentioned starches in the form of vegetables. Um, specifically, what is your feeling about white potatoes? You mentioned sweet potatoes. What is your feeling about white potatoes? Yeah. 
I know that rice is a grain and a lot of people tend to still want to eat white rice. Um, what is your feeling about about those two, those two, what I would term non-traditional starches? I, yeah, white rice is actually really easy to digest and far more healing to the gut than people thought. So if you tolerate it, it's fine. Um, and, you know, I've, I've really amended my position, too, on white potatoes. They really are so, so, so nutritious. And when you're following such a limited diet, you have to have as many options as possible. Otherwise, you get bored and you're going to, you know, you're going to go off the rails and indulge. So on something maybe that won't serve you as well. So sweet potatoes and white potatoes are fine. And I, I personally eat both. I don't just limit it to sweet potatoes, especially... You know, because I don't really eat grains, so and and I've been not eating grains for years now, so I really have to have options. Yeah, and so, but in the paleo, the paleo spirit, a lot of times you, you get to be so very strict, like there's no potatoes, yeah. no rice. So I'm glad to see that you're a, a bit flexible. And I think that that's what really scares people away from a lot of these diets because they think, well, I can't eat this anymore. I can't eat that anymore, which is a, a really good segue into the next question of really having, um, you mentioned this in the book of having a cheat meal. Um have you seen where people get obsessive? Because I've, I've seen people get downright obsessive, Esther, over the, the very thing I just said. Now, I can't eat any rice. I can't eat any potatoes. I can't do this. And they end up being really just OCD <laughs> over their diet. Um, why do you put that cheat meal in there, and do you recommend doing that cheat meal and just enjoying yourself every now and then? As long as you don't go too overboard, especially I would think if you have an autoimmune uh, issue, you need to be, be kind of more strict. I put it in there for two reasons. Number one is sanity. If people mm -hmm. can't stick to a way of eating as a way of life, then it's not sustainable and it won't work. So it has to be doable. That's like the reality Barbie and me says. It has to be doable. If I, don't, if I can't do it myself, I'm certainly not going to tell clients and my audience to do the same thing. Number two is um, you want to make sure that your hunger fullness hormones stay balanced. If you diet, you know, there are studies that show that even six weeks of restricted calories and restricted carbs, they can alter your brain's ability to understand when you are hungry and when you are full for up to a year after. So you really want to be careful. You know, your metabolism is a ginormous, complex, beautifully orchestrated switchboard. It is not just an on-off switch. So you really want to make sure that you are tending to your hormonal garden and you mix things up. Now, if you are really, again, serious about weightlifting and weight training or you're walking 10 to 20,000 steps a day, you're going to have a lot more wiggle room. You know, you're going to, um, I, I call it, you're going to be able to indulge on purpose where, or indulge with purpose where you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to spike up my blood sugar and let my body really go into a little bit of state of a shock, and then it will come down, and I will have lost some fat the next day. And this happened to a client of mine. You know, she's within five pounds of her goal. She came to me not overweight. She came to me just wanting to lean out and lose five pounds of fat. And she traveled, um, and she had wine. She normally drinks a glass of wine at night. That's pretty much like the only carb she has all day. She's been like this forever. 
And so she went away for three days, and she had two glasses of wine every day. She came back. She was like, my pants fit perfectly now. I was like, honey, you need more cheat meals in your diet. Like, you're not mixing it up enough. And you're, you know, she was becoming weight loss resistant. So, and she was no stranger to working out. She worked out almost all the time. So it just goes to show you, you have to mix it up. And I can tell you for myself, you know, I'll have a week where I'm just not really hungry. I'm eating really clean. If, if I'm not working out a lot, my appetite goes down. And I'm not losing weight. And I'm like, why? I don't understand. And so I'm like, oh, duh. I have to just have something sweet. So I don't feel particularly good with white sugar, but I'll eat something sweet with honey. You know, I'll fry up bananas um, in coconut oil and pull out honey or maybe a couple dark chocolate chips or I'll have some dairy-free ice cream, and then the next day, I, I'm like, okay, I look different. I can see my fat percentage is lower. So you do have to play, especially if you're working hard and not eating enough. You will shut down your metabolism if you don't have a cheat meal. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I've seen people get downright obsessive, and they, they don't realize that they're actually ended up you know, maybe keeping the weight on by not allowing themselves some, some type of variety. Getting into your plan, and obviously women have hormones, and the hormones can get a little bit, um, what I would term, out of place. <laughs> How does your plan actually help women? Because there's a lot of women out there. We just discussed autoimmune um, diseases, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. You know, you have your thyroid hormones, your estrogen, your progesterone, and women tend to, that stuff can get knocked out of whack really quickly. How does your plan help women to optimize those hormones? So my plan, the big piece, the big nutrient that people don't talk about or the big anti-nutrient, the best nutrient we need to talk about is stress management, truly. Um, stress is the foundation. It underlies all your hormones. And if you don't have your stress under control, your hormones, especially your thyroid, will take such a wicked beating and it would be very difficult for you to um, bounce back from that over time because your thyroid is the master plan. When your thyroid is down, your adrenals are going to be down, and you know your adrenals produce adrenaline and cortisol, so you can be wired and tired all at the same time. So I recommend, you know, even 10 minutes of deep breathing can lower your cortisol at night. Get into a great bedtime routine where, you know, technology off. You, If you have a partner or you're married or a pet, you connect with the special people and beings in your life. Um, you keep a gratitude journal and you write down three things you're grateful for more if you have it. You read something that's relaxing or nourishing for your soul. Um, I love to sip at night. I'll steep about three bags of Yogi Bedtime Tea, which is like a natural Xanax. And one night, <laughs> last week, my son, I was having a particularly crazy day, and he said, Mom, why are you steeping three bags of Yogi Bedtime Tea? And I said, because if I don't, my glass will be filled with vodka right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, taking a hot bath. Um, I, I love to listen to, like, um, uh, meditation little uh, apps. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word. So have you know know what your triggers are and know how you need to undo those triggers. If you're having really stressful days, like something's got to give. You've got to take things off your plate. You have to be willing to to really see and understand the effect it's having on your body. Because if you don't, eventually your body won't let you function, and you'll get to a place 
when you have no choice. So I'd love to see people take this into account before gets to that point. That client I talked about two minutes ago who was not losing weight and then she went and drank wine and relaxed and got away from work and she lost weight. So now, you know, we had a whole hour-long call about her getting her needs met and how she was going to do that. She was partner in a law firm and very high-stress job. So she decides to take horseback riding lessons once a week and really tap into that piece of herself, that, that quiet that magical piece of herself that had been asleep, she decided to wake it up again. So maybe that means taking art classes or singing lessons or being in a local play. Or maybe it means connecting to nature. Nature walks are the best way to lower cortisol and raise your brain waves. Maybe it means just taking a vacation. Maybe it means um, just connecting with your loved ones, with your kids or with your girlfriends. You know, all these things, we have to replenish our soul. Otherwise, no nutrient in the world and no amount of vitamins are ever going to help you if you don't manage your stress. Um, supplements. A lot of people want to know the right supplements to take, um, right quality to take. Um, what are some of the supplements that you might recommend to someone who's on this, on this plan? First and foremost, I would recommend some barley grass juice powder every day mixed into a smoothie um it's so chock full of nutrients and some protein but more importantly it pulls out heavy metals um like mercury and lead it really energizes your body for the day certainly some vitamin d if you're not in a sunny climate or if you are but you're wearing sunscreen and sunglasses all the time get some vitamin d every day I also love to recommend magnesium and zinc because every single person is deficient. So, um, and mag glycine is especially good if you're ten if you're prone towards anxiety and high stress. And mag glycine is great for people with fibromyalgia <clears throat> and you know chronic pain syndromes. <clears throat> um, and some trace minerals to unwind. And then a good old. Vitamin C, believe it or not. I mean, we need vitamin C to lower our cortisol and uh, protect our protect our bodies from just the daily assault of stress. But the vitamin D, I just want to go back and say, vitamin D is especially important because technology, like people don't realize this, but technology depletes a lot of vitamin D. So make sure you're getting enough every day. Yeah, I recommend that. I get a lot of that. I'm here in Florida, so I get my share of that naturally. <laughs> yes, but Darren, if you if your skin has natural pigmentation, yeah. it's darker, you're also going to have to be in the sun longer before you can absorb it because you have natural protection against the sun. Yeah, you know what? I'm the only black guy that goes to the beach and lays out. Trust me on that one. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm usually out because I had uh, Dr. Michael Hollick on uh, uh, two years ago. I think he came on and he's a vitamin. Yeah, and he recommended to be out in 20 minutes. So once I do my 20 minutes, I'm immediately under that umbrella. So I know I get my share of, of vitamin D in and I try to relay that to all of my, my darker skin people out there as well to make sure that you're getting that vitamin D. Um, last question for you, Esther, would be... What do you think, if something's not going right, it's like one of those frequently asked questions, if something's not going, going right and you've had the blessing of working with many different people and you've probably seen people go down that course or that line where they actually end up 
you know, failing and had to do some kind of course correction. What are some of the things or some of the drawbacks that you see that people don't do right on this, on your plan? I think giving their bodies the time and space to lose the weight when it's ready to lose the weight. Yes. Um, the biggest um, expectation is that weight is just going to fall off just because you change one thing. And diet is 80%. It is. But you have to take into account your stress, your sleep, whether or not you are nourished. Most people are overnourished calorically, but they're undernourished nutritionally, meaning we eat a lot of calories, but we're not getting the nutrients we need because we're so stressed out and we're not absorbing those nutrients quickly. Um, and also, if you have a chronic health condition, you know, you have to give that time to correct. So I love to say to people, you know, give yourself six months to a year. This is not sweet if it's been stuck on you and stubborn body fat has been stuck on you for a long time. You know, it's going to take a little while to come off. So we've got to give your body time to gently burn fat. Maybe we need to incorporate some stress management, some yoga and long walks. And, you know, you lift weights a couple times a week and the rest of the time you're eating tons of vegetables. You know, for some people it's very quick and it happens, you know, three months they lose 25 pounds. For most of us it's much slower. So I think managing your own expectations and giving yourself room to heal and repair and recover is imperative. Yeah, I think that's right. Because every time, I mean, if I can jump into a forum on Facebook or something, people are like, well, how long does this take to work? How long does it? Everybody wants to have that gauge, and it's different for everybody. So I'm glad, you know, you, you touched on that. Um, Esther, what is your website? If people want to contact you, they want to work with you, they want to find out more about what you're doing, what is your website where they can do that? So my website, it's Esther Blum, E-S-T-H-E-R, B-L-U-M, estherblum.com. I'm on Instagram as Gorgeous Esther. My um, Facebook page is Living Gorgeous. So I can't wait to see you there, Darren. This has been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. No, thank you. And actually, I'm going to have to have you back. I'm, you had me intrigued uh, with this Epstein-Barr virus. And I, like I said, I do a lot of research, and maybe we can do something else you know, in the future. Is there anything else you wanted to add before um, before we end the podcast? Just to never give up hope that you can heal. If you are struggling with a chronic illness, you have to pray and you have to have faith. Um, and I do teach people how to have this, but you, you really need to understand and know that miracles do happen every day and that you are healing every day that you eat correctly uh, or, or healthfully. Every day you get to bed at a decent hour, you are repairing your body. And it's not never hopeless, and you should never, never give up. Excellent. Esther, thank you for being on Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I really enjoyed this episode. Thank you. Guys, if you are downloading this episode through iTunes, I would, would really appreciate it if you do a um, review of the show. That's how iTunes recognizes people, and that's how other people get to see the show. Uh, when they recommend me to uh, other people. So if you're downloading this through iTunes, please leave a review of the show. And also, if you can reach me on uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook under Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. You can join the fan page there and you'll be alerted to all the new episodes. I'm also on Instagram as I'm the Fat Man. 
And I'm also on Twitter as the fat underscore man. So you can reach me on all those social media platforms. Next Wednesday's episode or this Wednesday's episode will be on iodine. I'm going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Jennifer. She's a, a naturopathic medical doctor, <clears throat> excuse me, and we'll be interviewing her on the importance of iodine. So I'll see you Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. Peace and love, y'all.